With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. I was building another company with my friend and in September of last year, we kind of sat down together and he, he said, you know, where do you see this company going in six months? And I just told him like, I probably don't want to be working at this company in six months let alone probably don't want to work here in three months. Um, because I realized, you know, I just wasn't, I wasn't happy with what I was doing. And so when this idea came about, you know, it started off as a joke and I was like, you know what, let me, let me look into this a little bit more. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten this out. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your gut. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. That was Chris, and today we'll talk to Chris and his business partner, Holly, about taking the plunge from secure, lucrative jobs to new founders in a competitive industry. I'm Holly Paul. I am one of the co-founders of Miso Hard Seltzer. Can you tell me a little bit about what the drink actually is? Miso Hard Seltzer, a, a little bit about the name. It's inspired by the fact that we know a brand name, a product name, needs to be memorable, right? And to be memorable, it needs to be short, right? So we knew we wanted a two-syllable word. I'm, I'm actually, I'm not even kidding. We literally went through every permutation of the alphabet of consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel. And we kind of narrowed it down to a list of 15 where we felt like, okay, with the product we have, we resonate with this name. There's chemistry, right? There's a little jingle and we like it. And then we started just going into the trademark database and we're like, okay, all right, we're left with two. We got Miso, but the, the reason why we resonated with Miso in the first place is Mizu, so M-I-Z-U, in Japanese is the Japanese word for water. And I think in the ideation phase, we wanted, it was really important to us that we were implicitly Asian and not like explicitly with Asian characters written all over. And the way we kind of played around that, if you look at our packaging, we are aware that people might not know what lychee is. We have flavor descriptors of each flavor on our packaging. So even though you might not know what a lychee is, right? When you look at our packaging, it describes it as floral and sweet. Lychee is this delicious Asian fruit and I ate it a lot. I come from, I'm first generation Taiwanese American. And so my parents would always come home, you know, with a bag of them and, and it almost bursts in your mouth with juice, if you get a good one. Um, and kind of back to the point where people are embracing diversity and uniqueness now more than ever. Like people love trying new things and when they love the flavor that's new, they love it even more. Could you tell me about the story of the moment that you were 
inspired to do this? Like, was there like a moment walking around a grocery store or a moment where you guys were just talking and then you had an idea? It's broken into two specific moments. And I, I love this question. I think the first one, it's the shrimp chips. I love shrimp chips. And I think part of it, of course, is I grew up eating it, but it's also just that like umami savory snack. Something as simple as a snack that I know to beeline to aisle 18 and not even to check, you know, where the potato chips are because I know it's not going to be there. And Chris, what does like aisle 18 represent? Aisle 18 is like the ethnic aisle where you kind of all the the Latin spice and the random Asian foods and the stuff that quote unquote doesn't belong in the regular chip aisle or whatever. Like Holly mentioned, why doesn't it sit with everyone else? Like if it's if it's a chip, why doesn't it sit with the chips? And so Holly, so you were looking at these shrimp chips as why 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 aren't these in in the aisle with all the other chips? And so what was that next step or in your thought process to to think about maybe how to solve this problem. I had a list of different food products and the savory and the sweet and the beverage of just like ideas of how we can kind of bring flavors and foods that I love into mainstream shelves. Um, and yeah, that's kind of when it clicked. There was no intention for me to be like a founder or anything. And I was so focused on my career and kind of moving up the ladder. But yeah, I just I had this idea and I was like, kind of went into this idea of, Milk tea, people love milk tea, Thai milk tea, taro milk tea, and all of that. Like, what if we put that in a protein bar or like some sort of, you know, daily cereal bar? So why did you pivot away from the bars? We kind of dug into how many people would really consume this and how often would they consume it. And I think we kind of came to a decision where this market was pretty small and it would take a lot of work to kind of tap into. I didn't have the capital to kind of take on this product or this project. Food and beverage is very capital intensive and kind of put it to rest. And that's when me and Chris were just like, I was stressed. So we went out to the market and we got hard seltzers and, and we were drinking at home. And that's when it kind of clicked. It was like, okay, I'm putting this idea of Asian-inspired bars to rest. We're drinking hard seltzer right now because I'm stressed. Okay, one plus one, maybe this is what is going to be it. And Chris, what did you think about that idea? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was great. We kind of came up with it together. I always, I mean, deep down, I always knew that I was destined to build something like it was just always in my blood that I would eventually create something for myself. I come from a very heavy finance background. My jobs would get, you know, somewhat easier and still pay well. And but I never felt fulfilled with what I was doing. And that's what kind of like led me to this idea that one day I'm going to build something. I just don't know what it was going to be. How did you know that that idea was the idea? It was kind of a combination of two things. I was I was building another company with my friend and you know, before, in September of last year, we kind of sat down together and he, he said, you know, where do you see this company going in six months? And I just told him like, I probably don't want to be working at this company in six months, let alone probably don't want to work here in three months. Um, because I realized, you know, I just wasn't, I wasn't happy with what I was doing. And so when this idea came about, you know, it started off as a joke and I was like, 
you know what, let me let me look into this a little bit more. So I just started Googling and I called, you know, one company and I said, hey, this is kind of the idea that we're thinking. How do we get this off the ground? Wait, which company did you call? Was this another hard seltzer company? No, it was basically just like another, like a co-packer. And so I was just trying to understand the process of how do you even make a, a hard seltzer in the first place? How did you go about, like, I guess, asking for help? Yeah, when we hopped onto these calls, it's pretty easy, honestly. You, you talk to the co-packer and the food and beverage industry, they kind of just break it apart. Like you need to get a recipe, you need to get your licenses. And so then you just kind of take each piece and you say, okay, who's the best person to talk to for this piece? So like Holly, what was the one of the first signs that there was some success here? I think it was less of uh, first signs of success where like, we got to do this. I think it was just the invoices we were getting to pay for, you know, working with these partners were getting bigger and bigger. We're like, okay, at this point, we've put in X amount of dollars. Like, we just got to continue rolling with it. (laughs) I think that was the point. But then I guess if we're talking about success, you know, simultaneously as we're working with different partners, we're looking for our co-packers, a branding agency to work on our design. We were also bouncing this idea off of industry leaders, you know, people working out Coors and Anheuser-Busch and all of that, just kind of bouncing this idea. And there was so much confirmation that this product, this type of product needs to exist. And that's when we're like, okay. So where is the company today? Yeah, today we are honestly only about three months or three Three weeks, weeks, three weeks out from launch. Holly tells people all the time, like it feels like we've been out there for months at a time. And so it's always funny to kind of reel back and be like, wow, we've we've only really existed out in the market for three weeks, but we're doing really well. We're selling, selling out of our stores like almost every two days I have to run around the Bay Area and restock our stores. We're producing well, we're expanding out to SoCal soon. And so we have a really good trajectory that we are currently building on, but everything's looking looking really good so far. Right now at our stage, we're still figuring out like a chicken and egg problem, like sales, right? Like getting into stores, but then also getting customers and people to know about our brand. like what comes first and what does that balance look like and so we're still figuring that out today we've actually been turning down stores because we are aware that customers aren't really they don't really know what miso is yet and so we've been focusing on getting our brand name out there getting our product out there i think you're at such an interesting point because it's 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 close to the beginnings of the idea but now you've done all this this action you've done you, you you've actually put in work to turn this idea from just an idea to actual an actual physical product that you're seeing in stores and now it's the inflection point of of seeing like how popular is this going to be And so, Chris, what are you most excited for for the future of Miso? Honestly, the thing I'm most excited for is just to really diversify our shelves. And one thing that I always go back to when I look at my phone sometimes is this picture that after I stock the shelves next at this liquor store, I could see our boxes next to the White Claws and the Trulies and Cacti and 
it just feels so crazy because the whole mission is for us to take these flavors from our backgrounds and place them in the spot that they belong, you know, with all the other uh, players in the space. And so it's always really cool to see that. And so I'm really excited to, to really diversify our shelves and, and show everyone our product and have everybody be able to taste these flavors that we grew up with that most people don't really know. Holly and Chris are daring consumers to follow in their footsteps by indulging their natural curiosity and broadening their horizons. While these co-founders started this journey at different places, they are now at the same turning point. They breathe life into a wisp of an idea by making huge personal investments. Now they have a product they believe in and they're sharing it with the world. All entrepreneurs have to face this point of uncertainty and hope, where luck is all that stands between them and the overwhelming competition. Even though they're at a nerve-wracking point in their company's development, both Holly and Chris sound excited, not anxious. Talking with Holly and Chris reminded me that entrepreneurs need faith to make it through the early days of a startup. Faith that there's room for both black cherry and lychee on our shelves and in the mainstream American palate. And faith in themselves. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Matt Fernandez, Sophia Donner, Aaron Devereaux, Nicholas Guzman, Ashley Jimenez, Tomas Renteria, Nathan Tower, Callum Turnbull, Lauren Yamada, and Maura Lynch. Our outreach and research lead is Ankita Nambiar, with support from Miriam Arden, Sarah Hobson, Lisa Le, Kenny Ong, Melody Sopani, Cherise Tan, and Marie Vaughn. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen, with support from Natalie Agnew, Abigail Azardia, Elise Caldwell, Harrison Duffy, Alexandra Huntalis Adams, Kylie McCreary, Beatrice Phillips, and Virna Seminario. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand, with support from Sohail Amatya, Tiffany Dang, Anna Rivelli, and Allison Wong. The video editing team is Eli Lawrence, with support from Melanie Mack and Linda Tapia. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.